But this morning, we're going to continue in our sermon series on Luke and the Gospel of Luke. And please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, but you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Our Father, we ask that uh, this morning as we come before you, regardless of where we are, whether we are excited to celebrate you and worship you, or we are here because we're curious, or perhaps we're indifferent, regardless of where we are, Father, would you uh, give us your spirit so that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open to hear. Our hearts would be receptive to the good news you have for us today. 
so that we would meet you, so that we would know the warm embrace that you provide us through your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, As I've said, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings, and today we come to perhaps the most beloved of all the stories that Jesus tells. It's been an inspiration for countless artists and writers throughout the centuries because it shows us the heart of God. And no matter who you are, what your background is, you can find yourself in this story, in this story. And this parable is the last of three. Jesus tells the crowd in Luke chapter 15, and we looked at the verse 2 a few weeks ago, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And today we conclude with the lost sons. And you may know this story as the parable of the prodigal son, but the story actually begins with, there was a man who had two sons. As we shall see, the story is actually about both sons. And I included the first couple of verses of the chapter to remind us of the context and who Jesus was telling these parables to. And if you remember, there were two groups that gathered to hear from Jesus on that day. On the one hand, you had the tax collectors and the sinners, and tax collectors were hated because they were not only working for the occupying Roman government, but they were also corrupt. It was so no secret that they were lining their own pockets, you know, illegally, skimming a little bit. And you have this group that was utterly hated. And along with the tax collectors, you have those who are the sinners, these people whose moral failures were so notorious, their identity is reduced to the sinners. Just sinners. Everyone knew who they were. Sinners and tax collectors, they correspond to the younger son in this story that Jesus is telling. Then we have the Pharisees and the scribes, and they correspond to the elder son in the parable. These were, if you remember, the moral and upstanding people. They were devout. They were earnest. Religion was really, really important to them. And these people loved Bible study. I mean, they were probably in three or four Bible studies. They prayed regularly. They fasted. They tithed. They defended their religion. And they are irritated by Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Why are they so bothered? Well, because eating with someone in the ancient Near East was not uh, the casual hangout it can be today. It was actually a sign of acceptance and the fact that they belonged in community. And this was the thing that really irritated them because this means that Jesus was not really serious about sin and they thought he was willing to compromise God's commands And this kind of teaching was dangerous. I mean, he's going to lead people astray. That's what they were all thinking. So you have the crowd, the tax collectors, and sinners drawing near to Jesus. You have the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling, very upset about all of this. And after telling the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, Jesus concludes with this story. This story. And I I want you to ask yourself this question. What is Jesus trying to get across to the original audience and to us this morning? What is he trying to say? What's the main point? And I want us to just think about that briefly. You know, let me, let me go over the story with you. I mean, the younger son comes to the father and says in verse 12, 
Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, do you hear what is implied in this request? Give me what is coming to me, the share of the property, when you die. But I'd like to kind of have that now. I mean, the nerve of the kid, right? He is essentially saying, Dad, I'd rather you were just dead. I don't really care about you. I don't care about having a relationship with you. But can I have your money? And scholars tell us that is exactly how the father would have heard this question. And rather than disown his son or beat his son, which would have been normal in that time, that's what the crowd would have expected. What do we read? The father actually divides the property between his son. Amazing. I mean, in that day, wealth was not stored in a bank account. It was not in things like stocks or cryptocurrency. You didn't have liquid assets. It was his property, his land, which would pass down for generations and his livestock. So to have his property divided meant he had to sell off his assets. It's the end of the life this father knew, his profession, everything he did. And that is the shocking part of this first section of the story. The father actually grants this unthinkable request. His son takes the money and goes off to enjoy his life. I mean, imagine the shame it would have brought on the family. Neighbors whispering, did you hear what happened? No. I mean, the boy did what? And his father just gave him the money. Everyone knew what happened. And Jesus wants us to feel the weight of this. And I want to suggest you see in this younger son going on his own way a picture of what it means to be lost. A desire to go on your own way, direct your own life, have a life apart from the Father. And given what we know about the Son, verse 13 should not surprise us. He goes off to a far country and burns through all his inheritance. It's a familiar story. He goes off in search of happiness on his own terms. He ends up broke and miserable. On top of that, a severe famine now hits the region and he finds himself destitute, hungry, in need. So you know what he does? He gets a job and the only job he could find is feeding pigs. He was so hungry. He longs to be fed with the pods the pigs were eating. And think how humiliating this is for a young Jewish man. Remember, pigs were unclean and unfit to eat. Bad enough he has to be around them. But now he envies what they eat. And Jesus' point in all of this is that this younger son is as far away from home as anyone could possibly be. He really does hit rock bottom. And then in verse 17, you see a glimmer of hope because he comes to himself. He comes to his senses. And some people think this is perhaps the turning point of the story. But we don't really know if he's truly repentant or just full of self-pity. But we do know this. He is utterly desperate. So he comes up with a plan to head home. He realizes, like, I have to do something to repair this relationship with the father, with my father. I mean, how do you recover from something like this when you told your dad, essentially, I wish you were dead, just give me the money, I don't care about you. 
So he prepares the speech. He prepares the confession. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he begins the very long journey home. And I I imagine him rehearsing this on the walk home. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be saying it out loud, trying to tweak it, making sure it sounds exactly the way it should? And the sage is said for what the writer Tobias Wolfe in his book Old School calls, surely the most beautiful words written were said. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. We don't know if the son actually saw the father, but what we do know is the father saw the son. He saw him in the distance, and he doesn't wait for his son to get to the front door. But filled with compassion, he went toward him, and in fact, he ran. And this is a really important detail because patriarchs in the ancient Near East did not run. It's just one of those things you did not do if you were a dignified person. It's humiliating. The old man would have had to lift up his robe, gird his loins, run down the road. Everyone in the village would have been looking at him, seeing this odd sight you never see. And as one writer said, the walk of shame the son was prepared to endure was overshadowed by the father as he gladly takes that disgrace upon himself. And before the son utters a word of his rehearsed confession, His father runs to him, gives him a bear hug, and kisses him. And I really think this is the moment when this son's life has changed. It's the moment he will never forget. I have a father who welcomed me despite all I've done, and he embraced me. And the younger son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. By the way, did you notice, if you're observant, he left out the part about being treated as a hired servant, okay? And I'm like, what happened to that part? We'll talk about that another time because we don't have time for it today. But just note, you know, how does the father answer this confession, though? I mean, he calls for what? Quickly, bring the best robe. That would be his own robe, right? The boy hasn't bathed yet. He probably smells like the pigs he was tending. He is still unclean. And he brings the best robe and has it put on him. He gets a ring and he has a ring put on his hand. The ring would have had probably the family seal or the emblem or the crest. He calls for shoes. He wore out his shoes or was barefoot. A robe, a ring, shoes, all signs of what? That he is now fully a part of this family that he has rejected. And even if Jesus stopped the story right here, it would have been shocking. If there is more. I mean, this is, this is the amazing part of this story. The father says, bring the fattened calf. We're going to kill it, and I'm going to host a banquet. Meat was not a part of the daily diet of people in those days, and it was only on very rare and most important special occasions you even served meat. And the fattened calf? I mean, this was not a lamb. It was not a goat. It was not a chicken. You only served this delicacy for a huge gathering. The whole village would have been invited. See, that's the point. It takes a whole village to eat this thing. 
this explains why the elder brother said to the father in anger in verse 29, you didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. A small thing, but you can do this? A public banquet for the whole village. There's music, there's wine, there's dancing. This is the celebration to tell everyone, I'm not ashamed of my child. And I, I imagine some listening to Jesus must have been weeping at this point. No matter what you've done, what your past may include, God is not ashamed to welcome you home. God's not ashamed to welcome you home. He will tell everyone, my child has come home. I thought my child was dead, but he is alive. My child was lost and is found. And if some of those were weeping, the other half were fuming because this is exactly what we're complaining about, Jesus. How can you have the father eat with the son after what he did? He is unclean, a sinner. People are going to get the wrong idea about what is most important to God. What happens to his law? A life of holiness, obedience to the law. Jesus, you don't take sin seriously. And this is why the Pharisees are so upset. I think some of you identify with the younger son. Maybe you feel like you are far from home. You know, you can't see God's tenderness and compassion towards you because you believe you've done some things or something that has disqualified you from being the recipient of God's embrace. And I've heard some of you tell me this. You don't know what I've done, Iron. But to all of us who identify with the younger son, I'm telling you, these words are truly the most beautiful words ever written or said. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. God sees you. You know, this is amazing. He's not indifferent to you, but he is searching for you. He's not waiting on the porch with his arms crossed, tapping his foot, waiting to let you have it when you finally come home. But he sees you and has compassion on you. He's not waiting, but he runs towards you. You know, Charles Spurgeon famous Baptist preacher in London in the 1800s said this about this passage. He said, slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run where we can scarcely limp. And if we are limping toward him, he will run toward us. And though the father was out of breath, he was not out of love. Perhaps you hear the story of God's lavish generosity and compassion and think there is no father who is like that. I mean, come on. Who is actually like this? I mean, Jesus could have come up with a different story that was a little easier to swallow or a little easier to believe, but he doesn't. You know why? Because when we start talking about the love of God, there is nothing about it that feels normal. It is extravagant. We ask, can God really be this forgiving? Could God really be this patient with me? Because I've failed again. And Jesus tells this story to tell us what is most true about the Father's heart. And Jesus is saying, I have come to show you that he actually 
is. See, others of you are hearing this parable and are confused or even bothered by it. Maybe you've been wronged or hurt. And you're saying, wait, wait a second. You mean the person who hurt me like that? Do you know what's happened to me? Are you saying God can want that person home after what they've done? What they've done to me, what they've done to others? That, that feels so unfair. God can't just welcome that person home. You just find the forgiveness of the Father unjust or even inappropriate. And you know what? For those of us in that space, we are in this story too. This is what the elder brother is saying. He's angry at the younger brother, angry at his father's compassion and his grace and at the party, and he refuses to celebrate. There is no joy with him, right? And this is why in verse 29 he says, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours... It's not his brother anymore. This son of yours, Cain, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. Do you sense that? There is no joy here. He is angry. You know, in all three of the parables in Luke 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and now the lost sons, the emotion of heaven, when something or someone who is lost is found, is joy. Rejoicing in heaven is what we're told by the angels when someone repents, when someone comes home. And this is Jesus' point. Both sons are lost. Not only the one who left home, but the one who stayed home also became lost in his self-righteousness and his bitterness. Both were alienated from the father. And at the end of the story, did you notice only one is actually at the party? And it's not the one you expect. You know, most of us will say, you know, I can relate to the younger son. and I can kind of relate to the older son. But, you know, I'm not that bad. I'm not that, maybe that good. Maybe I'm just above average because no one wants to think they're average. We're at least above average. But in the most important way, these two brothers are not that different. You know, they're both saying, Dad, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. It's what the younger brother says. The older brother, the older son is saying, bitter and self-righteous, I've done everything you've asked of me. Give me what I've earned. Why are you celebrating with him when I have earned your blessing? You see, he doesn't understand his father. He doesn't care to understand him or rejoice with him. He just wants all the blessing which he has earned. And he refuses to go in and celebrate with his father. Both sons are saying, I don't really want you. I want what you can give me. You know, there's a connection here to the parable of the great banquet Jesus told in Luke chapter 14, which David preached on a few weeks ago. You know, if you remember the story, a man gave a banquet and invited many, many important people, his friends. And none of them were able to make it. They started coming up with absurd excuses as why they cannot come. So this host invites everyone else, the poor, the lame, those no one else wanted, and they start go- coming to the, par- uh, to the banquet. And the parable ends with verse 24, 
which David left unaddressed. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And that question, this ending has kind of been on my mind. And as, it, as I read this story, I realized the elder son actually explains this verse. He refuses to go in and rejoice that the one who is lost is found. The, they don't understand the heart of God. None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet because they refuse to go in. See, when you don't understand God, will not overlook all of these things here. You don't understand the heart of God because the reality is this. God's not just going to overlook sin. He has a plan to deal with sin once for all. Someone is going to pay the price, endure the shame on our behalf. And this is the part the Pharisees are missing along the way. Perhaps some of you are saying, I don't really feel a need for God. Maybe I can just figure all this out on my own, you know, optimize my life, my career, my romantic life, my friendship, parenting, everything I need to do with my extended family. And we think, apart from a relationship with God, we can figure out all of this and it will lead to our happiness or make us feel worthy before God. And Jesus is saying, that is what it means to be lost. This is what it means to be lost. This is why this parable is so penetrating. Because sin is much more than breaking the rules. But what makes this parable so full of sting for me is that Jesus is saying sin is running from God to live on our own terms. And you can do this by breaking the rules. You can do this by keeping the rules and saying, God, now you owe me. You're still living your life on your terms. A life apart from God. And you've never, ever surrendered to the Father's love. And if that's you, can I tell you something? You are lost. You and I are lost. And until you see yourself as lost, you're never going to understand the joy of being found by the Heavenly Father. So what are we supposed to do with this story? He's saying, accept the grace of the Father. Accept the grace of the Father. I mean, before the younger son actually cleaned up his life, before he made a promise, before he speaks, God embraced him. When he deserved to be rejected, he was not only accepted, received in, he was welcomed with a robe, shoes, a ring, a party. I mean, this is grace. Instead of getting what you deserve, you get the opposite. And you know why grace is so hard to receive, hard to accept? Because as the writer Flannery O'Connor says, Grace changes us. It demands a change in us. And that change is painful. And it requires us to admit the fact that the only prerequisite of grace is this. I need it. I need it. But it requires a level of vulnerability, of renouncing your self-sufficiency. And to a proud heart, nothing is harder than to give in. It's much easier to be a hired hand. 
it's easier to say, I can pay off that debt I owe God. But grace says, I have a debt I can never pay back. And God offers his pardon, free and in full. And all the younger son can do in this story is receive it, to surrender to the father's love and to ask for nothing in return other than to say thank you. I mean, it's not easy. It takes a lot of courage to do this. It takes a whole lot of courage to do this. And let me ask you something. Do you actually want this story to be true? I mean, do you want this for yourself? Do you, do you believe this is what I need? This is what everyone else needs. Because if you do, there is a way to receive this story. You have to actually give yourself to God's compassion and grace. To trust that the one who is telling this story actually made this happen. Think about it, because Jesus also went into a very far country, didn't he? He left the glory of heaven, humbled himself to take on human flesh, to be born into this world, not to waste his life in reckless living, but to give his life for those who would. He leaves the Father's embrace so that we could be welcomed into it. I mean, he walked a long, shameful road, the way of the cross, towards you to embrace you and kiss you and lead you back home. And in order to achieve this, he experienced the humiliation and shame of being stripped naked of his robe so you can be clothed with dignity, with honor. He's treated as an outcast so you can be received into the family. I mean, on the cross, he's publicly shamed so that we can be publicly honored. And you know, when, when you know Jesus rose from the dead and when you know what the living Christ has done for you, you know what you start doing? You want to live for him. You want to you wanna change your life. You want to say, I actually want to live as he's called me to. That is what brings about change here. You see, the, the thing the Pharisees have wrong in all of this is they think, unless I clean up my life and have everything neat and tidy, it is then that God will accept you. And Jesus' point is this. We are all far worse off than we think. You have misdiagnosed the situation. You are sicker than you think. You cannot fix yourself. And until you realize you are utterly lost and that I have come to heal you, you will never understand the joy the Father is offering. Do you understand that? You know what the word prodigal actually means? It means reckless, extravagant, wastefully extravagant. And if anyone in this story is extravagant in this way, you know who it is? It is God. He was so extravagant that he gave his one and only son so that we would be able to have a relationship with him. That's what it means to be found, to enter into this joy. And our Heavenly Father invites us into this, into this party. He says, you are welcome to come if you'd like. Think about that this week.
And let's go to him in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you tell us this remarkable story. You tell us of your extravagant grace. It actually feels wasteful and sounds too good to be true. And regardless of where we find ourselves this morning, whether we're excited about this and we just want more of it, or we're sitting here wondering if this could be true even for someone like me, I ask that, Father, your spirit would allow us to encounter you in such a way that we would feel your embrace, that we would give up all of our self-salvation strategy to say, we give in, God. We want more of you. I need your embrace. I need your forgiveness. I'm utterly lost. And would you do that, Father? Not only for our sake, but so that you would rejoice and all of heaven would be able to celebrate. We thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.